Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Recording Podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Hey, well, again, thanks for hanging out with us tonight for our Christmas gathering. We're excited that you're here with us tonight. Uh, again, if I haven't met you before, my name is Pastor Philip, one of the pastors here and co-leaders at Awaken Church. Uh, we are in an Advent series called Arrival that we started back three weeks ago. And tonight we'll conclude that uh, for us tonight as we kind of tie together the Christmas story um, if you haven't been with us tonight, I know we are doing an abbreviated service. So I'm going to fly through a couple of points really fast. But this, for me, just as a quick reminder, if you weren't here, I've kind of been honest with you. I personally dislike Christmas series because I'm tied to one story. And for me, it just it's the same story every year. So there's some like repetitiveness to it. And I feel like I probably shouldn't say that as a pastor, right? Because it's the Christmas story. But within that, it's just hard to think of creative things to do every year different. I'd like to also think that you guys remember how we've always done them in the past. So that way, you know, we could do new content, but maybe you guys don't remember what we did last year. So I can do the same thing every year, but that wouldn't be fun either. So Either way, uh, we're doing this series because for me, there's a conviction I have, and I'm hoping that sharing that with you throughout this series is helpful, that this series carries with it for me, kind of speaking against this idea of the cultural Christmas, the Christmas that for, off, for, for many of us carries with it this, uh, the shadows of disappointment, the shadows of angst, the shadows of anxiety, uh, these moments that the world says, you know, hey, if you watch these movies, you sing these songs, you listen to these radio stations, you buy your kids these gifts, man, you just have the best Christmas ever. And it carries with it this hope uh, that eventually uh, this will be the year that it all kind of comes together, right? This will be the year that, you know, you sit down for Christmas dinner with your family and it's not super awkward to talk about you know, uh, recent news or religious topics, or uh, this is the year that your kids open up gifts and they actually want to play with the gifts and not the box that it came in, right? Or whatever it is. So uh, we all have these internal hopes of how it's supposed to look. But for many of us, and myself included, January rolls around and we're disappointed. Like, is that really all it was? That's what Christmas was supposed to be. All right, maybe next year will be different. And maybe you don't have a reflective conversation with yourself like that every year, but I think that's what the cultural Christmas kind of pitches to us every year, is that this year it will be different. This is the year something will, will appear different. This is the year that your boss right gives you that check to put the pool in the backyard, but that doesn't happen. Or this is the year, we talked about last year, uh, an elf reference, right, where dad all of a sudden stops working, you know, 60 hours a week and cares about the kids for once. This will be the year that you get the Red Rider BB gun, right? Whatever it is, that this is the year of, and it's the, it's the best time of the year. And these things are presented to us and they're well-founded in nature. And if, as Christ followers in the room, we believe in the redemptive story. We believe in this idea of God working together relationships. We believe in joy that comes from spending time together. But if it's about the things that we're doing rather than who God's creating us to become, we'll end up leaving that table 
short every single time. And so we've kind of done a three-part series around three different attributes and characteristics of who God is, because these are things that parallel not only the story of Christmas, but to other stories throughout uh, the, the Bible, and also parallel stories that we can carry into 2020 for us that says, hey, those are things that will still matter this time next year. Those are things that will matter this time in six weeks from now. And so the first thing we talked about God being our deliverer. And there were three main things. We looked back at the story in Exodus of God redeeming his people and the people crying out and basically feeling like that, that God wasn't doing anything. And we saw three truths, right? That God knows what's going on in your life. God hears what's going on in your life. And God delivers in your life. It may not look like what you and I think it does, but he always shows up and delivers. Last week, we talked about this idea of the glory of God. And we talked about the shepherds, these basically thieves, the lowest people within the society of the, of the uh, Middle East early church time period, were not allowed in the temple. They couldn't vote. They weren't honestly even, most Jewish people didn't even buy from them milk or sheep because they didn't know where it came from. They were considered lowlifes. And yet they were the people that the angels chose to show up to and say, this is good news and the glory of God shown all around them. And so why is it uh, any surprise to us that in this story where things are so backwards, right? There's this mom and dad in a barn having a baby in the middle of nowhere. And all of a sudden, of course, we would have these shepherds who, you know, on your nativity scene, they look real nice. But in reality, historically, that wasn't the way that, that we really understand the shepherds to be. Um, and all of a sudden, they leave from there praising God and telling people what they had seen and what God had made known to them. And that part of what happens is that when the glory of God shows up, it changes us and it makes us tell a different story. And so tonight we're going to kind of end the Christmas story looking at this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, and the hope that we carry from that. If you read, and uh, there's a, a, a transliteration called The Message. It's a version written by a guy named Eugene Peterson. And Peterson takes the Bible and basically writes uh, his uh, version of it, still using uh, Greek, Arabic, and Hebrew to kind of narrate the story. But he definitely openly says this is not meant to be a translation of the Bible, but a transliteration. So there are some play on words and some things that he takes some liberties to do in the process. But one of the things that I find interesting is that when I was in, in college taking Bible courses, I had a class called hermeneutics. It's a class that you take to study the Bible and learn how to kind of examine scripture in its depths. And one of the things that I found super interesting is that, you know, you're sitting in a class, basically like a seminary class or with other Bible nerds, and, you know, everyone wants to find like the Greek and the Hebrew words for everything, right? Because it makes you sound super smart. But uh, what happens is that we pulled out this verse we're going to read tonight out of Matthew, and he talked about how that, surprisingly enough, if you draw a spectrum of translations, you'd have uh, the ESV and the NASB and a few other ones on the most accurate versions out there today. So there's a few other ones out there, but the two most popular ones are the New American Standard Bible and the English Standard Version. Those are the two most common uh, translations that are the most accurate to its original text. And then if you swing to the middle, you have things like the NIV, things like the NLT, which is what we commonly use here, um, which is a fair presentation of both readability and true to its original text. And then if you want to swing to the other extreme, you have the message where it's really not designed to be um, taken from this 
true to the original text, it's meant to get the point across, right? So it takes some liberties in that way. But anyone who really studies the Bible well should use a plethora of translations because they, they accomplish different things at times, and some of them, they are probably better suited. And what's interesting is that when you read this idea of, of, of John uh, chapter 1, when, and we read through the whole thing, or if you, if you never read John chapter 1 before, it kind of begins in this very poetic nature. And in John chapter 1, the apostle, uh, he writes this, basically, he, halfway through the letter, he says, uh, that, that God moved into the neighborhood, that God put on flesh and bones and moved into the neighborhood. This idea of Jesus coming to earth in the message translation gets it actually more accurate than any other translation out there that literally the original text was designed to say that God put on skin as if it was like a suit and moved into the neighborhood. And this idea of Emmanuel, of God with us, as we read through the story tonight, I want us to hear within this idea of, of Emmanuel, God with us, is that God doesn't just desire to live and dwell among us 2,000 years ago. That God's desire is that we, as carriers of Jesus through the Holy Spirit, that we put on flesh and blood, we take on that skin, and we move into the neighborhood. It's why, as a church, we are so passionate about being a church who gathers together on these weekly gatherings, but we also scatter through missional communities, because as a sent people, if we don't take the moments that God has placed us in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families, and we don't view them as missionary moments, for us, we end up just waiting till the next church event and we miss what God's best is for us along the way. And if we want to understand this idea of Emmanuel, God with us, it begins to change our perspective from God being something that we simply do in the sense of events and task-based understanding of discipleship and instead who I'm becoming as I imitate Jesus in my life. And so I want that perspective because it's super important we read through the story because if you're like me and you've heard the story a lot, it's so easy for us to kind of grow numb to what is being said here. So remember that there's a design and a purpose for Jesus to come. And it's, yes, it is the cross, but it's, there's way more at play here than just the cross. Jesus comes not just simply to die on the cross. He comes so he teach us how to live, be amongst people, and teach us how to then go and, and live in ways that represents these virtues that we talk about as a church, to walk in these pathways that we talk about as a church that are so important. So let's read this. If you're right, read, following along with us, we're in Matthew chapter 1 tonight. We're going to read a few verses together, and then I'm going to share with you a quote tonight. Um, Matthew 1, 18 through 23 says, This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph, but before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, uh, let's see, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly, so he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the, Christ within her, sorry, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit, and she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus." for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child. She will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. So as you think about this idea of hope, 
We talked about, and again, week one, God is our deliverer. In week two, we looked at it's his glory. And tonight, it's the message of hope, the story of hope that all of us hold on to. And as I was kind of preparing for tonight's message and kind of thinking through kids in the room, adults, everybody here, I think maybe if you're a kid in the room, how you would understand the word hope is I'm wishing for a miracle or I have a want, right? How many of you guys, uh, kids in the room, how many of you guys have been to see Santa yet? Anybody seen Santa? Anybody? All right, a couple of you guys. Caroline, I love that, right? Perfect. Any big kids go see Santa? All right, there we go. Sorry. Uh, Right? How many of you guys have a specific thing that you want Santa to bring you this year? Anybody? All right. Perfect. Big kids included. I love it. Yep. Awesome. Within this idea of hope is this idea of, of, of leaning into and desiring something, right? It's this longing for something. And it's, it's built into who we are as humans. Because uh, in case you're unaware, right, there's this Latin word called imago Dei, the image of God. And whether you, at this point, call yourself a Christ follower or not, you are an image bearer of Christ, regardless of your race, sexuality, ethnicity, uh, socioeconomic standing, whatever it is, you are the imago Dei. You are an image bearer of Christ because God took himself and placed that in humanity, And for those of us who are Christ followers, we acknowledge that. And that's where stewardship, as Neil talked about, we now understand that it's all God's and we are carriers of that into the world that we live in. And part of understanding what we carry within us is the story of hope, God with us. One of the things that that the world tries to to, uh, take us away from, that the devil tries to take away from us, is this idea of togetherness. Because so many of us, if we're isolated and alone, it creates insecurities and it paralyzes who we are. The moment that you feel like you're not surrounded by community, by family, by friends, by people who support and care about you, you begin to have doubts and wonder if, if I'm really doing what I'm supposed to be doing. And so understanding that God is with us immediately places us in communion with God in a way that we understand that God with us. Emmanuel isn't just something that Jesus did 2,000 years ago. Emmanuel is the church. It's the bride of Christ today. So if you're someone who's kind of, whether you're a Christ follower or not in the room, I kind of want to give it to you this way, that hope without Jesus is simply waiting around for a miracle, but hope with Jesus is living with a purpose. Hope without Jesus is just waiting around for a miracle. They do happen. Miracles do happen. God is a miracle working God, absolutely. But you're waiting around for something, kind of maybe crossing your fingers, hoping, right, that something would happen. But if you're a Christ follower in the room and you believe in Jesus, then hope with Jesus creates this purpose that I have. The idea of, of Advent, right, is, is this idea of arrival or this idea of the coming of Jesus. And as believers, we celebrate that in twofold because there was an arrival that took place 2,000 years ago. But there's also an arrival that's going to take place when Jesus comes back again and begins to redeem all things back to him. And that's the hope that creates purpose within us because we believe that we are called not just to wait around for the next side of eternity, but we have a purpose on this side of eternity to go and be carriers of that good news everywhere we go, just like the shepherds were last week we just talked about. 
There's a, a pastor by the name of J.I. Packer. He wrote this quote pertaining to the Christmas story. And when I was reading this week, I thought, man, I have to share that with you guys. Because um, he says some things better than I could even say. So instead of trying to get cute, I'm just going to read this quote to you. It's up here on the screen. It's kind of long. So stay with me. He says this in his book, Knowing God. He says, the really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God-made man. That the second person of the Godhead became the second man referring to Adam being the first man, just in case you don't know that context there, determining human destiny, the second representative head of the race, and that he took, and, and that he took humanity without loss of deity, that Jesus of Nazareth was as truly and fully divine as he was human. It is here in the thing that happened at this first Christmas that the profoundest and most unfathomable depths of the Christian revelation lie. The Word was made flesh, God became man, the Divine Son became a Jew, the Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby. The more you think about it, the more staggering it gets. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as is this truth of the Incarnation. I'll put that quote on Facebook if you want to read it later because it's way too long. And some of you are like, take a picture. So I'll put that on Facebook for you later. But man, I love that quote because there's something in this all-inspiring moment for us that we lose this, this childlike hope, not just faith, right? There's a, the common phrase of childlike faith to believe in something, but there's this childlike hope in understanding that there is this amazing story at play of God becoming man, putting on skin, moving into the neighborhood and being fully God and fully man. When we ask each other kind of, hey, what does the gospel look like? One of the things that we can do at times, which I can be guilty of, especially in my past, is minimizing the gospel down to, the gospel is pretty simple, that Jesus came, lived a perfect life, died on a cross, resurrected three days later, and invites us into relationship with him. That's a really quick elevator version of the gospel, but you miss so much of the gospel when you boil it down to simply the cross and the crucifixion and the resurrection. Because the good news is a story, it's not an action. The good news is not just simply what happens on the cross or what happens at the birth scene. The good news is the story of God's love for his people and the stories throughout Scripture support this idea, whether it's in the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament or it's in the early church, that God desires to be present with us. That was his intent in the garden, and that's his intent when he's coming back again. That the hope that we hold on to is that we desire to be with God at all times. So Advent reminds us that not only did Jesus come as Messiah and Savior, but he is coming again to save the story of Christmas reminds us that Jesus did come as that Messiah, as that Emmanuel, that there is hope to that story. And I love this part of that story, right? That there is this beautiful moment where God breaks through the heavens and becomes one of us. And although I don't get it, right? I don't, under, I don't pretend to understand how all that works. There's this perfect communion between the Trinity and he breaks away from one, yet stays connected 
to be in community with us. That relationship is at the core of this entire story. And so for many of us, we've lost hope because humanity has let us down. A relationship has failed you. A family member has has failed you. A spouse has failed you. A child has failed you. We begin to lose hope. And we look back at the story and there are so many great things in the story to pick truths from, but tonight as we celebrate the birth of Jesus in our community, as we lead into what happens on Wednesday, celebrate Christmas Day, the hope I want you to hold on to is twofold. That God breaks out of the heavens to be in relationship with you and I and that there is hope that we hold on to with a purpose because he's not done saving. Saving wasn't a one-time act on the cross. Saving now happens through how we become more like Jesus and how he invites us to live in a world that needs hope, that needs more of Jesus with a purpose and less of just waiting around for a miracle. Let me finish tonight with this passage from Romans chapter 12. It says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame, and now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from the sinful people, then you won't become weary and give up. Don't give up. Don't lose that hope. You're surrounded by a community of people who will carry your arms when things get tired but we're all human in the room. The purpose is not to simply help each other as brother or sister. The purpose of us being here is to help point back to who God is and look at what he's done so that we can endure the race called to us as we run within community. Tonight, as part of our Christmas gathering, we're going to end our service with Silent Night. And so I'm going to invite the rest of the band to go ahead and come on up and get ready to lead us into that. There are so many powerful words in songs. It's why we sing them. It's not just because churches have been singing for decades and we're supposed to sing some songs. The song that we sang right before I got up here about God being our deliverer and this idea of him working in our lives, man, that song is so powerful to me in this season. And as we think about the hope of the Christmas story and we sing Silent Night together as a community, I just want you to maybe close your eyes at some point tonight in the song. Be still in your soul and just think about that Christmas story. Emmanuel, God with us, that God desires to move into the neighborhood with us. Because once we understand his purpose in coming, we then can leave here feeling empowered to be carriers of that good news. It's not your job to save the world, that's his. 
It's your job to tell the world that there is a savior. They don't have to wait around for a miracle, that there is hope in who Jesus is. And it starts with this Christmas story. Let's pray. Father, tonight as we enter this sacred moment of singing an ancient Christmas carol, God, as we lift our voices, God, I pray that you would cause this moment of, of hope, of excitement, of joy to bubble up within us because we're reminded in this moment of who you are. You are the hope for the world. You are our deliverer and we exist for your glory. God, as a church, we ask that whatever you wanna do, that you would just do it. God, we would get out of your way and that we would be carriers of that good news. We would set aside our own hopes, wants and dreams that we would put on your hopes and dreams because they're better than ours anyway. And that God, the story of you becoming flesh, becoming Emmanuel, would carry beyond just Wednesday and the Christmas day, but would invite us into conversations in living rooms, around tables, at bars, at coffee shops, wherever we find ourselves for the next few weeks, whether it's a holiday break or at a holiday party, and that we would live within a purpose because we live for hope. We are carriers of that hope. Amen.